Alright, welcome back to The Mindful Leader, the podcast where we seek to understand the mental health, mental state, and well-being of leaders and how they take control of that so that other leaders, perhaps like yourself, can become more productive, more fulfilled, and better leaders yourself. My name is Seven Jacobs, and in today's episode, we'll be listening to Shabnam Raja. Now, Shabnam is a really interesting person who takes yet another unique perspective on some of the main things that we seek to cover in these conversations. Listening to her today, we look at all kinds of different facets of how we view our own minds and in doing so the problems that we create but also the opportunities that we have to kind of rewrite and rescript some of the challenges that we tend to create for ourselves the habits that we get used to that are really self-deprecating shabnam is a clinical hypnotherapist a mental health performance consultant and she specializes in helping entrepreneurs and leaders in business remove subconscious self-sabotaging beliefs and behaviors so that they can do even better and have more of an impact, all without the sacrifice that often comes to their mental and emotional well-being. This is something that spoke to me a lot, and we cover a lot of these things in this conversation. We talk about the subconscious, and we talk about habits. We talk about how we can control, or take control, I should say, of the habits that we get used to, and how instead of being controlled by them, we can learn to rescript by seeing them as habits, as things we can do something about. That made today's episode just vastly interesting, but it's also a very personal episode where we talk a lot about the kinds of things that we've experienced that lead to these issues, which is great for me because I really wanted this to become a space where we can be open and real and vulnerable. I want leaders to understand, I want all of you to understand, regardless of whether you see yourself as a leader, that you are not alone when you experience difficulty. You're not alone when you experience challenge. We leaders are in this together. Yes, there are people out there to help you, but even if you don't feel like you have a support network or don't feel like you can open up, there are people who understand the feeling, even if they don't understand exactly why you feel that way, or you feel they don't understand exactly why you feel that way you are not alone. So I hope this helps you uh, a little bit to not only feel that way and, and understand that a little bit better, but to understand things you can do to help yourself overcome any of these kinds of issues that you might be facing. So without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome everyone. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Seven and today I'm joined by Shubnam. Now, today's episode I think is going to be um, another really fun one. I, I, get, I keep getting put into these uh, really fun and I feel like really privileged positions where I get to speak to people who bring yet another new experience, another new perspective um, on some of the most important things that we want to get out of today's podcast. So, Shabnam, how are you this morning? Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Seven. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm, I'm doing really well, thank you. Good. Good to hear. I guess jumping straight into it then, um, could you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Okay. Uh, so my name is Shabnam and um, 
who am I? That's the big question, isn't it? Always. <laughs> it's a huge yeah, question. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's a, it's one that, you know, it's like, well, what is there that is beyond just what I do? You know, what's deeper than that? And that's why I love opening with that question. Yeah, I, I think it's quite a loaded question because you can always tell what priorities people have when yeah. you ask the who am I question. I've kind of gone off already. Um, who am I? That's I'm, great. I'm not my job. I'm not what I do. Mm. <laughs> and that's why I always say I'm Shepard. Um, I'm a mum. Um, I live with my partner, I have a, you know, a family and I also work and my work is all around working with leaders and entrepreneurs and executives. Um, and what I do is actually help them remove self-sabotage from their lives with sabotaging habits and behaviours and thoughts, slightly different from coaching because I help them remove it from their subconscious by getting to the root cause of the reasons why they're sabotaging themselves. And sometimes people don't realise mm. they are sabotaging themselves. So a lot of the work that I do is around awareness of looking for the patterns in their behaviours and their thoughts and in their life where there are signs that this is self-sabotage and then helping them to remove that. Yeah. Interesting. What does that self-sabotage tend to look like oh, for wow. your experience? So there are so many ways to see if somebody is self-sabotaged. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you'd think the obvious ones, well, you know, well, if, you, if you've got unhealthy habits and you're drinking or smoking or doing drugs, and these are all self-sabotaging habits that we know of, but there are deeper ones, and this is where it really ties in well. Um, for your podcast and your audience where it's around your mental and emotional well-being we self-sabotage ourselves when we are mm. not even noticing how we speak to ourselves so our self-talk how harsh we are, are allowing our inner critic to take the center stage and believing the things that we say to ourselves as fact rather than it's just a thought because our thoughts drive our uh, behaviors yeah. our feelings and our actions so these are you know, this is this is mm. the the core of what I do is helping people to understand how the way they speak to themselves has an effect on how they behave in life, and how they speak to themselves is obviously yeah. a habit, and these habits are formed very early on in, in our childhood, mm. and we don't even realise that the stuff, the dialogue that's going on all the time, is actually a habit, and it's not even our own dialogue that's going on it's something that we've integrated from listening and experiencing things in the outside world yeah we get used to uh people parents the world in a way mm. having certain conversations with us right or at least it feels like a certain conversation so as we yeah. get older we have that conversation with ourselves and it becomes so powerful for reasons that we interesting we've touched on in this podcast before around self-sabotaging our kind of inner saboteur that becomes this voice mm. that says um no basically just says no no you can't do this thing or no you shouldn't try to um take this risk to build this business to foster this relationship um can manifest itself in all sorts of ways. What do you think for leaders, or I should say in your experience, for leaders, what tends to be the most common things that our saboteurs will say to us? I think um, the most common one is, you know, you're not good enough. So 
it's this whole imposter syndrome mm. that everyone talks about and and the myth yeah. that, that this is something that you have to live with for the rest of your life that you know you will never be good enough you have to keep on striving you have to be better and until you do uh, achieve something you're not really worth anything so these are the dialogues that go on all the time without even noticing because you'll mm. see that if anyone who's um, a leader anyone who's an entrepreneur there's this drive for achievement and always trying to get to the next milestone and achieve the next goal and there's almost this yeah. inner drive which people look at as very ambitious and it's a great thing to have because it makes you productive and all that but what it's actually really mm. looking at is actually what is that drive about is it that once you achieve something then you are uh, you know, worthy of love, worthy of uh, attention, worthy of validation, or is it because you know you yeah. you actually want that for for yourself, and there's no attachment to the actual goal? It's imposter syndrome is huge for mm. these sports that you know I'll never be good enough, or I'm different from yeah. everyone. There's a, there's a whole list of beliefs that I can come up with, and that come up for my clients, that came up for myself, still do for lots of people that are the core of yeah. a lot of the self-sabotaging habits. So what happens when someone doesn't feel that they are good enough? They're going to try yeah. a lot harder. This is where yeah. perfectionism comes in. And perfectionism is a huge self-sabotaging behavior because it's never good enough. And that may lead to procrastination or it may lead to last minute working really, oh. really hard um, to achieve what's perfect and still not being happy with your output. So you're never actually giving yourself any sense of achievement. You're never giving yourself any praise. So it's a constant struggle. Yeah, you never feel like you never feel good enough. Exactly. And so even even when you achieve those things, and this is the thing that I always found interesting when reflecting on what I would do, as well as just conversations I'd have, yes, with leaders, but actually I find these conversations with a lot of people, mm. you'll do all of that, right? So you'll feel all those things and therefore you'll put all that effort, all that work in. And you won't feel any better. You won't yeah. feel any uh, happier. You won't feel any more successful, even if it creates some form of success. And you won't therefore feel fulfilled. And I think yeah. that for me is a huge part of this because fulfillment, I think, ultimately is what we are kind of subconsciously searching for right in some capacity we want to be fulfilled but we have all these misconceptions about what being fulfilled means when we had a, um, a conversation when we first met we talked a little bit about fulfillment I'd love to know kind of from your perspective what does it mean to feel fulfilled it's um, one of those things that everyone has their own definition for you've just touched on it where mm. someone might be striving course, for something yeah. and may outwardly look very successful because you've achieved a lot but still not feel fulfilled because it's the for me what fulfillment is the when you when you're no longer yeah. attached to the external material things or the titles for your own validation and you're actually at peace with mm. who you are in the world and you understand that your worth and who you are is not dependent on what you do, what you've achieved, whether you're married or whether you have children, whether you've left a legacy. 
one of the questions I always ask, um, and it's always a really yeah. good indication of what somebody's uh, view of themselves is, is a question I ask people that I work with is very early on is what makes you important? Oh, interesting. And what kinds of things does that bring about? That's a very, that's a new one to me. <laughs> I love that. It's, it's a great one because it's uh, the sort of answers that I get are, you know, I'm important because I'm a father, um, you know, I look after my children, I have, you know, I am, I'm important because I, uh, I'm a business mm. owner and I'm responsible for all these people, I'm important because I'm a human being and I, you know, so that it, some, some people, it's amazing who give me an answer, it's like, I just am, I'm important because oh. I just am, which is what we need to get to yeah. i believe is that your importance isn't reliant on anything else and, when, and the mm. word important is the reason why i use it is because it's something that we are more used to rather than saying you know what makes you worthy <laughs> yeah 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 we're like what does the word yeah. worthy mean no but important important is something we use all the time but you're you're a hundred percent right in the sense that i think it's so common for us to attach external things material things to that importance but something we've touched on before that i i feel like i talk about never i like i never stop talking about it and i probably sound like <laughs> a broken record already is that we are not the what's in our life yeah. we are not um what we have what we think our thoughts we are not our successes or our failures and we attach importance to those so when we say, why am I important? We'll go, well, because I have those things or I've achieved those things. But you're right. You, you, you're you never going to be at peace really with those things until the thing that makes you important is the fact that you just are. Yeah. Right? You just, you just, you can just be and that is enough. And I think that's a really freeing kind of thought in a way. It is, because what happens if you're important because you have a great family and you have um, a, a nice house, a lovely car, and you've got a great business, and then one day yeah. you don't? Are you not? Are you no longer mm. important as yeah. a human being? Of mm, course you are. Of course, yeah. You've, you've attached so much of your worth to that, right? Your, your identity, you completely identified with it. I, that's that's such an interesting point to me because, and I said this at the beginning, so I saw this coming. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a totally new perspective on something that is so important, I think. Well, it's so important for me, I think is also so important for leaders to understand. And it kind of brings me on to the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is when you're working with your clients and you kind of walk through some of the things that we've just talked about or whatever steps you know you take to get there these are fundamental life-changing concepts that a lot of us i think don't grasp or don't get the chance to grasp for a long time do you notice any resistance within them to making that change right people who say no 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 but what you're saying is is not the case or i'm not actually suffering from these issues do you notice that resistance in them where they don't want to kind of accept the things you're saying? Um, I used to see a lot of resistance in my earlier work when I didn't do what I do now. Mm. And that was, um, I worked in the corporate world for over 20 years and near the end of that stint, 
<laughs> a very long one, was um, yeah. working with leaders and it was just coaching. It was executive mm-hmm. coaching and leadership coaching. And the conversations wouldn't be around me telling them, well, look, I can see that this is what the problem is, but asking them to delve into and questioning them. And there would be a lot of resistance about actually saying what they really felt or saying out loud that, you know, what well, I'm struggling with this and that's why this is an issue. And I saw that a lot because it's this whole um, stigma around if you're a leader, you must know the answers, you must be strong, you you shouldn't have any weaknesses. Um, And if you admit it, then should you even be a leader? So, you know, um, so I, I, that's when I would find that I would never get to the crux of what the issue was. The way that I work with clients now, they usually come to me when they've already realized, you know what, I've tried everything. I'm frustrated. This is getting to a point where it's affecting okay. me in so many ways. I, I need help. And I get the the kind of person who actually has, you know, they've, they've read books. They've been in personal development yeah. for a very long time. They've had coaching but they mm. still feel the same. There's still that, you know, they haven't got to the root cause of what is causing them the massive issues in their life and having the ripple effect mm. across everything. So there's no resistance because they, they've got to that point where, you know, what, well, I'll try this. Okay. <laughs> it's interesting. That's really interesting to hear because I think you're on a general level, the reason I ask about resistance is because we feel a lot of it, right? We, or I guess I should say, I feel like it's easier to notice in others than for yourself. And oh, yeah. I feel like I notice a lot of it, right? It happens in all sorts of areas, world events, politics, um, lots of, as we're recording this the last week, you know, there's been a lot of things um, that came out around um, women's rights and the way women are treated and, and just the resistance to that. Mm. Which is something I've been talking about all week. The 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 sheer amount of resistance that there's been to understanding each other, understanding the issues that people who are not like yourself have gone through. Um, there's always this resistance, and it's so interesting to me why. And I think in a way you've already kind of answered that question because you talk about being at a place where you're just you're just open. You realize there's an issue and you don't know what to do about it, but you're open to change because what is the point of resisting it anymore, right? When your clients are in that point or at that point, how easy is it? How much easier, I should say, is it to work with them once they're open to that change? It's, you know, that's the deal breaker. If somebody isn't open to change, Mm. you can't help them. Yeah. You know, because what's the point? You'll you'll be trying to help somebody who's already got their barriers up. Mm. Um, but I, I have to say that I've had some clients who've been had some resistance, you know, and resist. I, I don't know if it's the right word, but more skepticism around whether this this you know this mm. way of working with me will be the, the answer to what they've been looking for to get the understanding of themselves better. Um, and it's you know, this is what I do. I help people to understand their resistance and to get, you know, self-sabotage is 
our conscious and our subconscious resisting, you know, the conflict mm. between the conscious and the subconscious. And it's that resistance that we are trying to understand and overcome. So, mm. it, you know, you could say that's kind of like my, you know, in my toolbox and it, <laughs> it's my, yeah. my secret magic trick. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel that. I think the reason that's so interesting to me and, and I think to a lot of our listeners is because, to an extent, we can we can all work on that within ourselves, with ourselves, right? So we can look to ourselves to understand, well, if I want change, can I go and learn? Can I reset some of my habits or learn new ones? But do I have resistance to that? And you can ask yourself, am I resisting this right now? And it just, it's, I find that that is really powerful because it opens your mind to new possibilities. It might be to working with new people or in new ways, but it could just be to to learning or setting a new habit for yourself. What kind of impact do you think, and I'm talking on a more of a general level now, what kind of impact do you think that open-mindedness has on our mental health? Oh, huge. I think if if we don't look at mm. everything with, I mean, I, I have a background in um mindfulness and meditation as well and one of one of the you know mm. one of the core elements is having a beginner's mind and you know like a child if you mm. have an open mind then yeah. you're more likely to learn new things and a lot of it is about unlearning you mentioned you know when you want to change a habit and we're trying to learn something new we're using a lot mm -hmm. of willpower and it requires a lot of discipline, and that's why changing habits yeah. is difficult to start with until it becomes routine and it becomes, yeah. you know, through sheer willpower and discipline, you get to a point where you're able to start a new habit of going to the gym, maybe, or not drinking coffee, or not drinking alcohol, whatever, whatever the issue is. But where, where, um, mm. I think the understanding overall is that we we start at the wrong place and this isn't through any fault of our own it's because we're just not taught these things we're not taught to understand how our mind and body and brain work together mm. and that when we're trying to make a change from the outside yeah. uh, going inwards because we're trying to change something in our environment or our behaviors or our actions it's far mm. harder to do and takes a lot longer because we're starting from the wrong point if we start on the inside with ourselves and understand well why is it that i am doing yeah. this thing and what is it that i need to be doing and why can't i do it that's starting from the inside out. And what we're not doing is actually learning something new. Yeah. What we're doing is unlearning the old way of being. Mm, I love that. I love the concept of the beginner's mind because sometimes it's being too established in our roots that keeps us from the exact thing we want to achieve. And that tends to be, again, because of this attachment to the external right or putting yeah. weight on the external therefore you expect those external things like you just said to be the things that need to change for you to feel better or do better i need to stop working with this person i need to you know a as a leader it might be well my staff just need to be be better or do you know what i mean something like that whereas actually when you're able to come at that from within first you can be at peace with those things and then use that to more constructively do something about it. But there's always going to be some kind of external problem. 
always and you can't control that you know something you touched on a lot there and and we you touched on it at the beginning when talking about kind of this self-sabotaging voice we have you described it as a self-sabotaging or as self-sabotaging habits and you we talk about habits again i'd love to kind of understand a little bit more uh, about how you work through those things because when you use the phrase self-sabotaging habits to me that was really interesting that was a new take on it for me um i've always talked about it and heard about it right as this kind of inner voice right so it's just this this part of you that just is whereas if you look at it from the the reference of being a habit it's like well it's it's this subconscious Hmm. kind of pattern but it's something that you can control as opposed to being this thing that you have to deal with or you can kind of overcome it but really it's something you can entirely rewrite in a way if it's a habit you can stop that habit and start a new one so walk us through a little bit yeah the kind of the habits that you tend to see leaders having that are self-sabotaging and how we can overcome those things so when you when you said that this is a new way of looking at it for you does it i'd Mm. I'd love to know does it kind of free up your whole sense of well if it's a habit then i can change it it's Mm. not set in stone i don't have to live with this um and that's one of the things i'm always saying these are the things that we need to be taught at school about how our mind and how our brain work together one of the things Mm. that we don't realize and this is with you know ourselves as human beings regardless of what you do in your as a as your career um is that we don't seem to realize that nearly every single thing we do during the day and how we even um you know cross our arms is a habit without thinking because if you think about it and this is and then i will address the question about what what comes up for the people that i work with the leaders and the entrepreneurs and what comes up a lot for them is that what we don't realize is that um and this is you know scientifically proven and uh, a lot of research gone into it is that Mm. we even our thoughts are habits. We have the same thoughts uh, around 80 to 90% mm-hmm. of our thoughts are exactly the same as the ones that we had yesterday because we are in the habit of repeating them. And and I can't remember the exact percentage, but the majority of them Ooh. are not positive thoughts. You know, they are negative thoughts that we've had yesterday and the day before and the day before. And this is a habit yeah. that's created because we just allow them to come into our mind and think, well, this is fact. This is what I'm doing. We don't even think, you know, this is getting very meta. We don't think about our thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love that idea. We don't think about our thoughts. They just happen to us in a way, don't they? They're yeah. so powerful. And when we understand is that there's something driving those thoughts, you know, it's there's something behind where those thoughts come from. And that is our whole belief system and our identity. And when we understand that, then you can say, well, I don't like these thoughts, you know, whether it's an inner voice that comes up for you, whether it's these, um, you know, thinking about the past and ruminating about the past and wishing that you hadn't done something or still suffering in pain about thinking of 
traumatic events that may have happened or anything uncomfortable, or you're looking forward, worrying, how am I going to do this? What am I going to do tomorrow? What am I going to have for lunch? It's understanding, you know, simple things, but it's constant. We have so many. I, I think I think the number is between 60, 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day or even yeah. more. Yeah. And if you think about the majority yeah. of those are the same ones we had yesterday. And so it's all a habit, and it's the same thing when it comes to um, – yeah. I get a lot of people to do this. If we were on video, I'd ask you to sort of cross your arms, and you have we, – we tend to cross our arms in the same way. Now, mm. if you were to cross your arms, and I told you to purposely cross your arms using the other arm and putting the other arm above and, you know, changing the way you've crossed it so it's the other way around, it's going to feel a bit uncomfortable. It doesn't feel right, you know, it – yeah, it does. Yeah. I just tried it. And I'm feeling our listeners are too. I bet you there are some trying it right now. It, does it doesn't feel, weird. feel right, yeah. does it? But I guarantee you, try this as an experiment, that you, you purposely make yourself do this a few times a day for at least a week or two. And you'll notice that actually now it just feels normal. It will feel just like it did when you did it the other way around because it's a habit. So the things we get used to and that we're familiar with, we continue doing. And anything that is not familiar, we we have that resistance because the way that our minds work, yeah. our subconscious just will uh, look through the database of all the stored experiences mm. and events and memories that we have and say, right, how do we do this normally? Oh, like this. Okay. Stick to what you know, because if we do anything different, there are two aspects that, you know, that... <laughs> I normally tell it like a story when I speak to my son or somebody, but it's like this. Like if you think about the brain and the mind as two little watchmen who are looking out for us, they don't care if we're happy. They don't care if we feel fulfilled. All they care about is one, to conserve energy and two, to keep us alive. So the brain, want, it uses mm. a lot of energy. So that's why we have habits. If we had to think every time we do the same thing we did yesterday, our minds would just, our brains would literally explode. I mean, imagine if you had to remember how to pick <laughs> up a toothbrush in the morning and how to put the toothpaste on your toothbrush. Yeah. The first time you did that, it, you know, as a child, it would have been quite tricky, you know, trying to get it, you know, oh, okay, mm. so I have to brush like this. If you had to think about every little move you do throughout, throughout the day, like, okay, now I've put the toothbrush, toothpaste on, I'm going to brush the front tooth first, and then I'm going to move to the second tooth. You don't think yeah. these things. It's a habit. Yeah, yeah, they become a huge ordeal to need to, to think out every single exactly. thought consciously. And you, you just couldn't handle doing all of it at once because there's, there's too many of them. That's a 60,000, 80,000, a lot of things to think about. That makes sense. And it, it, so it's all yeah. stored in the, you know, it's all stored in the subconscious. Yeah. It's all a habit. And that's what we don't realize is that so is a lot of our behavior mm. and, uh, and the things that we do without noticing that like if you instantly get annoyed if somebody, you know, is driving slowly in front of your car and you're trying to get somewhere angry, uh, you know, angry yeah. you're trying to get somewhere in a hurry and you get angry. That is also a response yeah. that your mind has stored as, right, okay, in this situation, we just get angry. <laughs> this yeah. is what we do. Interesting. And it plays into something um, that we've talked about briefly before, which is kind of working on 
the conscious mind as well as the subconscious mind. Yeah. To what extent, or in fact, walk me through that a little bit. When you talk about conscious work and subconscious work, what do you mean by that? Okay, so generally speaking, when I started out working with um, the leadership teams when I was working in the corporate world, I did you know, a lot of coaching. And when we're coaching, mm. this is working with the mainly the conscious mind so it's you know you're aware of what you're saying what you're doing you're thinking with your conscious mind so logic it's all very logical um if yeah. i told you right yes you know seven i can hear you clearly you're listening to me clearly through this the audience is listening this is what we're doing this is very logical now mm-hmm. what's driving behind the actions and the behaviors is Again, what I mentioned before is our subconscious beliefs and our subconscious habits that we have. So yeah. understanding why somebody is all, so, you know, giving an example of one of the questions you asked me before is what keeps on coming up for the leaders that I work with um, in, in terms of self-sabotage is so uh, this underlying feeling that they're not aware of. So imagine we're just starting off a conversation um, and they're stressed out. And they feel like there's, no matter what I do, I get to this point where in business, for instance, I have people who have been working very hard. They're very successful. They still don't feel successful. They still feel like they aren't as good as everybody else and they're not doing as Mm -hmm. well as everyone else. And they also don't seem to be achieving exactly what they want to achieve despite trying to do everything to get there. So it's like, I'm not, mm. I can't understand. So normally, if you were to go to a business coach, you'd map out strategies and tactics and look at your marketing and your sales and, you know, mm. your uh, ideal clients and customers and look at all yeah. the, you know, the logical, technical stuff to how to, if you've got all of that in place and you're doing all the work and you're following all the, you know, the right advice on what to do in your business and yet you're still struggling, yeah. It makes it's very frustrating and to get to the bottom of what's going on that's where the subconscious work comes because if you're doing all the things that you know would work for anybody else and are working you can see the evidence then you know that it's not the external stuff it's not the strategy there's something within yeah. that needs to be looked at and what is it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No that makes perfect sense because I mean I think on a on a kind of a more superficial level we tend to use this idea of fuel where you know if you if you don't have the right fuel for something is it going to work in a way your your mind is is kind of the same right you've got all these things um these logical things but really they're driven by the emotional things and the instinct the instinctual things as well sorry instinctive things as well um the things that are kind of on that deeper that deeper level or, or within the human brain. I love the concept of um, Simon Sinek's golden circle, which I think it's become a really big thing now. His, his TED talk mm. that came out probably around, a de- around about a decade ago now. And it looks at, it's primarily used for market research, but it, it looks at this concept of understanding kind of the why first. And the reason for that is because, and he uses this diagram, when you look at that from the top down, and if you took that as a cross section, that would look like, kind of look like the way the human brain works. 
at its core, you've got instinctual things, or sorry, again, instinctive things, basic need for survival and things like that. Then the next part of the human brain that evolved from that is the emotional. And then the logical and rational is the last little part of that on the outside. And so when we ask ourselves, well, why aren't you being logical and coming back to what you've said around, you know, I could have all these logical reasonings and ideas all sorted out, but then it doesn't work. It's because, well, deeper than that and more fundamental to you is this internal, probably emotional driver. And so if emotionally you're attached to an idea of not being good enough, as I think a primary example, then that will be the thing that will come mm -hmm. out in every single little yeah. thing that you do on that logical level. So using the example you just gave, if I've got an amazing business plan, um, a great marketing strategy, if I've got a great budget, even I have, you know, a whole bunch of money to throw at something. But everything that underlies every action I take, every decision I make is, no, you are not good enough. No, you will not succeed. You yeah. will be sabotaging yourself without even realizing it because it's your subconscious that's doing it, right? That's what I feel like is is coming out Absolutely. so powerfully for me when you talk about all of that. Um, and I think that that's something that leaders of all shapes, sizes, ages, experience levels, industries can take home at the end of the day, you know, and I'm sure you've seen it from so many different people as well. You've seen the same thing, it sounds you've like. Completely. I mean, you nailed that. That's exactly what it is, is that when we're talking about logic mm. and emotion, emotion always wins. That's it. You know, why do we yeah. completely lose our minds and behave like children having a tantrum if we're angry? You know, yeah. we're grown ups. We know how to <laughs> yeah. have a normal conversation. But when you're when the emotions take over, your brain kind of shuts off and you behave like a child having a tantrum. And it's only later on when you've calmed down, yeah. you think, oops, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> you know? yeah. But, oh, yeah. dear. What did I do? <laughs> yeah. But, and a big thing that that's comes out of that for me is um, a distinction you keep making, which I love because. I've started making this distinction over the last couple of months and I find it really helpful is the difference between the mind and the brain. Yeah, definitely. Walk me through what you mean by that a little bit. Okay, so I notice it when people just say, you know, my brain all the time instead of my mind or talk about the mind and not understand the brain. And to understand that, you know what, mm. we are not our bodies. Our brain is a part of our body. The mind, now mm -hmm. that's a really big question. Because, you know, if I was to ask you, Seven, where is your mind? I sound like the pixies. Yeah. <laughs> where is your mind? <laughs> it's a meditation question, yeah. isn't it? It's a, it's um, When practicing meditation, it's a, a big thing to ask. So I actually recognize that question, but it does sound very like, oh, that's very airy-fairy, and I don't really know where that's coming from. No, I feel that completely. But it's, it's <laughs> one of those questions. No, you know, is it is yeah. it between your ears? Is your mind between your ears? You know, mm. is your mind in your heart? is it you know where is it it's it's a very it could get become a very philosophical conversation thinking about where mm. your mind is but you know it's our sense of being uh mm. it's not housed in the brain but it has an impact on how the brain works and this is you know understanding the neuroscience psychology of how our emotions and um you know how our psychology affects the brain and therefore affects our physiology and understanding the distinction between the brain and how it's actually 
made to work to keep us alive and to mm-hmm. not waste any energy as much as possible you know keep us alive that's the biggest you know we don't have to think about doing all the things we need to do to breathe to blink to eat to drink we do it naturally that's the brain's yeah. function you know it's pumping the blood it's doing the organs are doing what they need to do we don't have to think about that and the mind has so many levels to what it does <laughs> you know we, we're not even aware mm. of it so we we have our conscious mind and we have our subconscious and there are people who would you know say subconscious and there's a super conscious and you know what's the difference between the unconscious and the subconscious so it could become such a huge huge conversation yeah. the truth is that every year and ever since i you know i i studied psychology back in the 90s um and I, I don't think what we were taught then is even valid anymore. You, we're constantly, <laughs> we're, I yeah. mean, there are obviously things that, you know, we know from from the history of psychology and understanding how human behavior works, that we're learning constantly. And science is constantly catching up with understanding how the human mind works. We, ha, even mm. how the brain works, you know, there are new technologies coming out every day and new discoveries every day. And understanding that actually the brain and the mind work together, but they're not the same. Really crucial. Mm, Yeah. I, um, I really like the kind of imagery of the brain as a tool that we can use, but a mind as, just like you said, this sense of being this... If you were to ask me where is the mind, I'd probably just say it, it just is, right? It's within my brain somewhere it's processed by my brain but it kind of just it just it just is there because it's this concept more than anything from a from an i'm really interested from a a kind of a neuroscience perspective is there any kind of uh answer from that more scientific perspective of where is the brain is it you know certain part of your neurons or something like that well the brain is obviously you know it's in between our head our ears yeah. it's the top yeah. of our head and the whole new you know nervous system it encompasses the whole body so it's not just the fact that our brain works on its own we have we have neurons and you know the nervous system throughout our body and there are electrical mm. and messages going on all the time and there's there's that aspect, but as for the mind, we know so many amazing videos on YouTube. I, mean, I love YouTube for this reason that you can watch people having surgery, and that there are certain parts of the brain that, if you touch, will activate different um, huh. emotional states. So it, it kind of makes you think that. Oh, so does that mean that that's where that part of the mind is? Who knows? I don't think you'll find a single scientist, and I'm not a, you know, I'm not a scientist, I'm mm. a brain surgeon or anything like that. So if I, you know, if the scientists can't actually agree on this, I don't think yeah. I would ever be able to give you an answer, Seven, about where the mind is. I think for each person it would be, well, uh, a completely yeah. different one, a different answer. And even, even people who have different um, belief systems, mm. you know, whether they're spiritual or religious, they will have give you a different answer so mm. it would make a very interesting conversation yeah. but nobody actually yeah. knows the true answer <laughs> there there is no one answer and i think that's the reason i asked that i had a feeling you'd say something along those mm. lines which is which is important i think to understand because 
if you're able to really kind of accept that, I think it creates a sense of freedom almost. We're not, a, we don't, we're not held back. We don't need to be held back by that mind, right? It serves a purpose of not making our brains explode, like you said, but it tends to, because of the way it works, fill us with those sabotaging habits, but that doesn't need to control us. Therefore, it is a habit. That's why I loved when you said it was a habit. I'm like, okay, because we can control these things. Mm. That to me is such a powerful sentiment. I'd like to take a quick divergence to something that I think will help set some of the the foundation for um, where these habits come from. And this is something I bring up with every guest every week and is talking about childhood and the impact of our youth. What was your life like growing up and how do you think that affected you? I would say that, you know, myself, I'll, I'll speak for myself because I can tell you exactly how it, you know, from my own experience, I know clients' mm. experiences and what you said about childhood, it's an important question because nearly every single thing we do as an adult has some root in our childhood. And I had, up until the age of 14, I had the most beautiful childhood um, parents, loving parents. I've got siblings and we had uh, a really great life. We, I lived in, I was born and bred here in the UK, but we moved to Pakistan when I was around seven years old. And at the age of 14, um, my mum mm. and my sister were killed in a car accident, which, which obviously had mm. a massive impact on how I grew up and, and the rest of my family and my siblings. Yeah. We moved back to the UK when I was 15 and went to school. And now having lived, firstly, you know, this moving from one country to another, not understanding the language, learning, being the outsider was a big thing. So we moved from here to over there. We didn't fit in. Then yeah. going through this massive traumatic experience and coming back to the UK. Um, for for my, my dad at the time, being, you know, the father of four children, it was a very difficult, and, and my mum and dad were, you know, you hear about those perfect couples. They were absolutely just adored each other, and, and it was the perfect, we, we looked and we were yeah. actually, you know, you could say, obviously, when I say perfect, I mean, we, we, we were a very loving, really tight-knit family, and we still are. We just don't have all our family members anymore, um, but it had a massive impact on my dad, but he, and this is what mm. I learned, he was he was the strongest person I've ever known. And my, my dad's passed away now recently. Um, so it's been one of those things. When my mum passed away, what we mm. noticed from what I'd learned from my dad was that you just keep carrying on and doing the things you need to do. I never saw my dad sit down and cry. Well, I did see him cry, but not not to the point where he was depressed or he showed that he was depressed or that he showed that he was in so much grief all the time. Because he turned all his um, attention to raising the four kids that he had, and that was that was his, you know, that was his goal in life. That was his passion. He just wanted to continue looking after us, not letting us ever feel that we were, you know, not loved and missing out because we don't have a mother. And he was mum and dad to us. So what I saw from that was, and what I picked up were many things, and this is. 
you know, we could go into a whole lot of things, but what I understood as a child was that things happen and you just carry on. So, and this is one of the things that I see with a lot of people that I work with is that, you know, mm. you don't show how you really feel. We never talked about, we never ever talked about how we felt. And back in those days, and this was back in the 80s, um, we never had grief counselling as children. My dad never had it. It was just, we just got back into life, back into school, going to new school, yeah. um, being again the outsiders. I came back with a very strange accent. My, I know my accent's still strange, but it was... Uh, you know, the same for my brother and sisters, where we just didn't fit in. And plus, we were going through this massive, massive trauma of having lost our mum and our sister. But there wasn't any any kind of um, counselling or any support, except from what our dad gave us. It was a lot of love. We had a very supportive family. And there was a lot, of, but we didn't talk about how we were actually feeling and the loss and the grief that we had. And for myself, it was, I also had so much guilt. And this is what I carried yeah. around, not even knowing throughout my adulthood, this massive guilt that I was to blame. Really? Why Why was that? And this is, it just shows how a child's mind works, is how we attach everything. You know, I, I, I can laugh about it now. I had a, yeah. a maths exam. Um, this is, I was meant to have a maths exam the next day. And on the day that my mum died, she came over and her sister lived mm -hmm. very far away from us and she would have severe migraines, really severe migraines. Not my mum, my mum's sister. And my mum got a phone call from her friend or neighbour saying that, you know, I think I think this is really serious, you need to come see her. And and my mum mm -hmm. was really concerned, really worried about my my auntie and thinking that, you know, she might even die. This is from what they're saying that it could be, you know, a brain tumour or something. Really, really bad. So I was sitting there and I had a maths exam the next day and I really, really didn't like maths. It was my worst subject. I hated it. And I was sitting there and instead of, you know, you can't, you can't learn maths by just mm. reading a book. So I was just flicking through the pages instead of sitting there working out the problems and practicing. And I was kind of like praying, uh -huh. like, oh, I really hope I don't have to have this exam tomorrow. I wish something would happen and I can get out of this exam tomorrow. So obviously something did happen. My mum came and, you know, she came in, gave me a hug. And I don't know why, and this is really weird. I'm not, you know, I'm, I, I'm very scientific and like logical minded. But at that time I hugged my mum and I just started crying. And this is my last memory of it. I was crying and crying. And my mum was like, don't worry, she'll be okay. Talking about my auntie, it's okay. She'll be all right. And I'll, I'll be back tomorrow. So she left. And that was the last time I ever saw her. Mm. And in my mind... I must have thought I was the most powerful 14-year-old at the time because I caused that. I didn't want to take that exam the next day, and I caused that accident, and that's why mm. my, mom, my sister died. And that doesn't make any logical sense, but that is something that I carried in my subconscious mind is that you, you know, you're responsible. This is your fault. And that guilt drove me so many, and not even knowing that that's what was no. driving me to a lot of, and it probably not the only thing driving me to a lot of self-sabotaging habits or, you know, drinking to numb pain that I didn't even know what it was about, to, you know, excessive drinking. But I was a very functioning, I wouldn't, I don't know, I suppose you could say yeah. alcoholic almost, but it wasn't like I was just drinking, but nobody ever knew that I was drinking so much. So it was very, yeah. you know, hidden. 
and I was functioning very well, working, earning money, look, everything looked great on the outside, but on the inside, it wasn't. And then I also had an eating disorder for majority of my adult life. Again, you know, some sort of form of dealing with yeah. things was my not eating and looking a certain way and behaving a certain way. It must be this, must be that. So it had a huge impact on me. And I don't think it was till I was about, well, I know for a fact mm. it wasn't till I was about 38 years old um, when it all came together and I got to the point of this, and this is what I see with the people that I work with. And I suppose that's why I'm drawn to working with people like that because I understand where they're coming from is this, this drive for achievement of looking and, you know, having the success. So I had a very successful business. I looked perfect in the sense that somebody was, you know, you can wear anything and you look great. Mm. <laughs> Nobody knew what that took for me to get to that stage and how it still didn't feel good to me. Um, I had, you know, my partner and I had been together for years um, and still are perfect relationship you've got a perfect child everything the perfect but inside right. that I was just numb or probably yeah. you could say almost not you know nothing that actually filled that hole that I didn't realize what that hole was mm. and then there was the guilt that why should I even be feeling like this because anybody else would you know they'd give their life to sort of places with me because my life is pretty perfect. Why should I be feeling like this? So there was the guilt of feeling like that too. So this yeah. is what I see with my clients. It's like guilt, feeling guilty for not feeling happy with what they have. Yeah. You can't quantify pain. No. Right? And I think there's this, and maybe it's a societal thing, um, the West, the UK, you know, I'm not really sure. I feel like it's uh, this is a thing worldwide. We compare our pain to other people's pain oh you know i'm not you know uh uh i get to throw a birthday party over here in the west i'm not in a you know war-torn country or whatever mm. i'm relatively privileged but i don't yeah. feel very good you know and the the narrative is well you why why don't you feel very good you know you you that's that's not okay but we're allowed to feel how we feel the reason it's important is because joy is important and if there's a, a hindrance to that joy for whatever reason mm. we deserve to be able to work through that challenge that hindrance that trauma that what uh, you know whatever it is those challenges don't disappear just because we think they should and and thank you for sharing yeah. all of that with me because that I think I think there's a lot that that we can learn from that kind of story and a big takeaway and I think this is why you kind of describe it the way that you do is that we are not in control of certain details and that is okay but often we won't even be aware that there are those things that we aren't in control of that are impacting us, right? You weren't aware of your guilt as an example, right? It sounds like for a long time. Mm. How did you then overcome that that awareness or, or lack thereof to be able to make a transformation there? So, you know, I hope anyone listening takes a lesson from me and doesn't have to go through this too, but 
it came crashing down for me. You know, it wasn't like all of a sudden I was walking down the street mm. and I had this great realization and then I skipped along and the rainbow yeah. came and there's all <laughs> dance, dancing unicorns yeah. around me. No, it was hideously <laughs> painful. Uh, I came crashing down. I um, I got to a point I was, I just needed help. I, I couldn't. I couldn't find my place in life anymore. I just felt so, I, I didn't fit in. I didn't know what to do. And it, it came to the point that, you know, I, I tried to take my life. And then um, I went through mm. a lot of anger for not dying. So, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, the realisation wasn't like, oh, so I didn't die yeah. and I was grateful that I was still alive and that now I've got my life ahead of me. I was actually angry that, I didn't die because I just didn't want to have to deal with yeah. what I hadn't dealt with. And what that was, was actually addressing the pain, looking at the pain, feeling it. And what I realized, and, and mm. it took a very long time, this is many, many years ago now, was that actually you have to go through it to get to the other side. You can't just ignore yeah. it. Um, there's no way around the uh, around this kind of thing is there you need to you need to get through it and face it head on in a absolutely. way absolutely and that's that's the thing that i i i'd um created this persona of who i was you know i'm the strong one i was the eldest child i'm the strong one i you know i can mm. deal with anything and everything i don't need anyone's help i'm very independent you know um this is how i do things and that wasn't actually how I actually felt inside. I wanted to be taken care of. I wanted to be uh, able to say how I was feeling, but it was something that I had grown up to think that you just don't do. You get on with it. You just don't do this. <clears throat> and that's what I see with my clients is that, mm. you know, they don't talk about feeling, mm. especially the men that I work with. They don't talk about actually, you know what, I feel scared or I feel, yeah. I feel lonely. That's, that's a big one. And I did feel mm. lonely. I felt so lonely and it didn't make any sense because I was completely in love with my partner, still am, have a child who I love and adore. But I felt lonely because nobody actually knew what was going on inside of me. And I couldn't talk about those things. And that was because I didn't allow yeah. anybody past a certain level of my boundaries. I'd created these very strong yeah. boundaries. And so you asked, mm. like, how did the transformation come? It was a very painful process of realizing very, uh, you know, I had um, went through therapy. It didn't really help me. I didn't want to sit there and talk about stuff. So it didn't work because I was closed off. And it didn't happen until a lot later. And I, mm. I shared this with you is that I, yeah. I developed a, a, a huge phobia anxiety about driving over bridges and motorways and that had you think has what's that got to do with this that yeah. led me to finding the way to actually heal my past and heal the the wounds and look at my past and be able to be accepting of who I am and that you know what I'm I'm not a murderer I'm not I'm not this awful person that I I I tell myself I am and not even being aware that I do <laughs> and that was because I got really really I was I told you the story and I mm. I'll keep it short but I I developed after driving for many many years um not having any issues one day I just become became really scared of driving over motorways and I tried everything to get over it talk, talk myself around it and it didn't work I started taking 
three trains just to get to my destination rather than drive, mm. which was causing a problem. So somebody suggested they see a hypnotherapist, which I thought, well, uh, I don't know about that. But, you know, what, what, that's a bit, you know, we see the stage hypnotist, you know, it's going to make me cluck like yeah. a chicken. No, I don't want to. But I went. Uh, and in one session with this person who later became my mentor, <laughs> who um, I, it was gone. I was not, I was, and, and we got to the reason. So, you know, the session wasn't like, I didn't lie down mm. on the couch. And this is what people seem to think that hypnosis, you know, I didn't lie down on the couch. There was no pocket watch that I had to watch, you know, look at. Um, and he didn't just talk to me whilst I was sleeping. It was a dialogue yeah. between me and him, but in a very different state of mind where we were, you know, it was my subconscious. We were uncovering the subconscious reasons at that, were preventing me from driving and we got to the root cause of what it was and being able to change it at that level meant that all of mm. a sudden when I was back into complete consciousness it was like it wasn't even a thing so I worked on the other stuff you know I, I not I didn't go yeah. to say that I need help healing my you know the these childhood wounds that I've been carrying around all my life because nobody ever does. It's just what ends up happening through the process. I went back, it's like, you know what? I drink way too much. I have an issue, and my drinking had to fit within the 800 calories I allowed myself to eat at the mm. time. So it's like, I also have a issue with food. So it was working through these things and that were very surface level, you'd think, you know, habits to change, but the root of them was very, very deep, yeah very deep ones really yeah and something that comes out of that for me just to kind of wrap this up is that that plays into so much of what we've talked about in the sense that you know you you mentioned that these things don't seem very connected but actually they're all very closely yeah. connected they're very interlinked our habits come from these um from experiences experiences come from um, other experiences in a way because we replay our our past into our future we kind of replay it in mm. the present and and so it creates this cycle um and sometimes it becomes so ingrained that we put up a wall after wall you know barrier after barrier boundary after boundary and it just layers itself and to come back to the question well you know what what needed to happen i i don't think it it ever really is a moment of no. realization and then suddenly everything is okay you know for for almost anyone in any situation i've heard a couple of stories which is like oh that's that's really cool but 99.9 percent .9 of the time you know the vast majority of the time if you don't take control and self-awareness for yourself which is hard and and often you know it's the people who need who who aren't doing things like you know listening to conversations like these or taking part in conversations like these that won't be able to do that um if you're not able to have that for whatever reason and this is again this is i think totally understandable and very common but if you don't have that self-awareness for yourself it will probably come crashing down on you before you can realize it's the case whether it's you know a mental break uh, a, yeah a breakdown um you know, something worse, yeah. something more traumatic. Sometimes it's just one day for whatever reason you decide X, Y, and Z needs to change. Yeah. But even then, that's not a huge 
experience necessarily. That's just the beginning. That's like 0.1 steps of, of the first step in a long road of change. Um, that's why, though, uh, one of my favorite pieces of advice is, you know, if you were to ask the question, when is the best time to do something? The answer is always now, regardless yeah. of what it is, because the future doesn't exist and it isn't guaranteed. But the now is one of the few guarantees that you have. Um, and so when it comes to making a change like that, what can you do now to make that change? I think is a really powerful question to leave our listeners with. Um, we're going to wrap it up there. This has been a slightly longer one than usual, but I hope it's been really enjoyable for everyone. Um, Shabnam, thank you so much for joining me today, for being so open, for providing so much kind of learning experience and wisdom for everyone. Where can people learn more about you, find you, look you up if they want to work with you, etc.? Thank you for having me on, Seven. I did tell you that I, I talk a lot, so that's why I'm apologies if this has gone for too long. <laughs> no, I've, I've loved it. I enjoyed it so much. Yeah, same here. Um, if anybody wants to connect with me, probably the best place is on LinkedIn. I'm also on Facebook, so if you were to just search me on LinkedIn, Shep and Raja, that's where you're most likely to connect with me. And, and that's it really perfect thank you so much for uh, for being here i've enjoyed it so much um and with that we are coming to a close thank you so much everyone for tuning in i hope you gave uh, or i hope this gave you some incredible takeaways that you can apply to your journey as a leader and with your own mental health and well-being please make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you're listening to get the next episode as soon as it is released lots of love from me and uh, we'll be back very soon. Bye.